Well, good morning. It is good to be back at Hope Chapel. I've missed all of you and there's some new faces and I look forward to getting to know those new faces that are out there. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't start by just saying a huge thank you to all of you. Uh, over the course of the summer, people asked me, was I worried or concerned about the church? And I said, I did not worry one bit because I knew that you guys all would step up and I would hear from a distance the many things that you guys have, have done. And I also want to say a special thanks uh, to Michael, to Betsy, to Andy, and to Colin because they worked a lot this summer. And so let's give them a round of applause. Well, over the past several weeks, our hearts have been heavy. As we have watched the devastation from the earthquake in Haiti, the destruction caused by Hurricane Ida, the rise in COVID-19 numbers, and the tragic scenes unfold in Afghanistan. And none of us can forget the picture of the 13 flag draped caskets being welcomed back to American soil and the over 600 souls lost in Afghanistan. These weeks have been devastating for us as a nation. And it's easy in times like these to lose hope. It's easy in times like these to think that the evil empire that we see in Genesis 3 will continue to thrive, destroying everyone in its path. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we believe that God is writing his own story, a redemptive and restorative story that he invites us to join. The book of Genesis begins this story. Genesis tells us how God created the world and gets our minds into the real world in which we live. In Genesis 1 through 11, we read the primeval history. These 11 chapters are full of beauty and evil. We see the grandeur and grace of God. We see the splendor and depravity of man. The basic storyline is creation is beautiful intended by man. We see the takeover and evil of an evil galactic empire. But hope is not loss because we see a small rebel force being established. This rebel force is a small flickering flame through the first 11 chapters. We see it in Adam and Eve's son, Seth, and then through Enoch, who called on the name of the Lord, and then through Noah, who walked with God, built an ark, and who, after the destruction of the world, was still standing. And then in Genesis 12, through chapter 50, the story continues as we see this small flame of the rebel forces bursting into a glorious fire as God chooses Abram to be the father of nations and the leader of a great rebellion. So as we get our first glimpse of Father Abraham this morning in Genesis 12, 
we see two things this morning. First, I want to talk about the empire. And then secondly, I want to talk about the kingdom. Pray with me. Father, we are grateful for your grace and your mercy. Lord, you could have easily just destroyed the earth and not place Noah on that ark and his family. But you are faithful to your promises and you're faithful to your people. And Lord, we're thankful that in the midst of all the destruction that we see around us, you are present. Your kingdom is growing. And as we look at these faithful fathers over these next weeks and months, Lord, I pray that you would teach us from your word. You promise it will not go out and come back void. So as Sabrina prayed, Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. In your holy name, Jesus. Amen. So the first thing I want us to consider as we look at Genesis 12 is the empire. Now, if you have your bulletins or your Bibles, I encourage you to pull them out. In verse 1, the King James Version really says it better than our ESV. In verse 1, it says, Get thee out of thy country and your father's house. Now, why is the Lord so forceful here? Because God understands the lure of the empire. It starts in the garden with a serpent lying and deceiving Adam and Eve, promising if they eat from the tree, they will be like God's. And unfortunately, they pledge allegiance to his reign through their disobedience. Then we see the rebellion continuing through the first 11 chapters. Cain kills his brother Abel. In Genesis 6, we read that as a man became, as man began to, began to multiply, their wickedness grew. And then God blotted out everything on earth except for Noah, his family, and a pairs of every species. And one would have thought after such destruction, man's allegiance to the empire would end. But we read in chapter 11 <clears throat> that man tried to build a tower to make a name for himself, a tower that would reach to the heavens. Abram was so deeply entrenched in living apart from God. He grew up in a patriarchal system where he and his siblings, they worshiped his father's gods. I've got allergies. So forgive me for my voice. Abram, he was so entrenched. And in this patriarchal system, Abram had to worship his father's gods. He committed all of his efforts to his success. And he wanted more than anything for his father's name to be great instead of God's name. Abram's desire was to be like God. And it was intoxicating, and the hunger to take over control was overwhelming. And even after God dislodges Abram from his father's house, we see in verse 10 
after Abram gets to Canaan, the allure of the empire draws him back in. And instead of trusting God's story, Abram chooses to write his own. <clears throat> Look at verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. Abram, he reverts back to his common practice. And back in the ancient Near East, whenever there was a famine, they would head to Egypt because that's where the water was, the Nile River. Now, God wanted Abram to stay in Canaan. That's what he commanded him to do. But Abram, instead of following God's story, began to write his own. And as we write our own stories, we often grow fearful and desperate. And that's what we see in Abram. Out of fear and desperation, he says, my wife, she's so beautiful. When the Egyptians see her, they will take her and kill her. So what does Abram do? He lies. And he tells everyone that Sarah is his sister. He hopes in his mind that if he tells everyone that Sarah is his sister, that men will come and they'll want to take her to be their bride. And they'll give him tons of spoils. And so in his mind, he's thinking, okay, I'm going to come up with this plan. And I am going to get all these guys to come to, to take Sarah. And I'm going to gather all their spoils. <clears throat> and then in the middle of the night, Sarah and I are going to bolt off with tons of cattle and tons of servants. And we're going to get out of Egypt. Now, the only person that can spoil Abram's devious plan is Pharaoh. And what does our text tell us? The text tells us that Pharaoh is so taken by Sarah's beauty that he takes Sarah to be his wife. Abram's schemes to protect himself have completely fallen apart, which is often the case when we fall prey to the lure of the empire and try to write our own story. And so we need to pause and ask ourselves this morning, how much do we trust our story to God? Do we trust his promises? Or do we, or do we try to write our own stories? I know during my sabbatical, I traveled a lot. And I went to... My first trip was out to Boulder, Colorado, and I boarded the plane here in Greensboro, fully thinking my plan was to arrive back in Greensboro. Well, when we got on the plane in Boulder, we went to Chicago, we landed, we got on the plane at like 10.30 to head back to Greensboro. We were on the runway. The uh, airline power pilot begins to, to throttle it. We start going and then all of a sudden we hear a pop and he throttles back. And then he tells us that something's wrong with the brakes. We head back to the airport, but no problem. We're gonna get on another plane. So we get back to the airport, they get us off the plane and then they immediately tell us, your, your flight's been canceled and you've got to stay here. 
Now, that's the first time in all my years that I slept under some seats on the floor at O'Hare Airport with 2,000 other people who were also stranded. Now, that was not my plan. My plan was to go back to Greensboro. And I wish I could say that I let go of control, but I didn't. I tried everything in my power. I thought about renting a car. I thought about, I yelled at the, the airline stewardess. I, I was awful. And that's what happens when we try to take over our own story. Well, you think I would have learned and said, okay, I'm gonna trust you, God, when I go to Puerto Rico to, to take care of everything. But I was talking to a friend who was flying with me. He had frequent flyer points. I said, hey, let's fly first class because if we fly first class, we'll, class will be okay. We flew to Puerto Rico, got there okay, but on the way back, we landed on the tarmac and there was a thunderstorm. So we sat for an hour. We knew we had 10 minutes to get to our gate. You've never seen an old man run as fast as I ran to get to my gate, but we missed it. I again had my plan to get back to Greensboro, but God had another plan that he was working and he was orchestrating. And so in neither trip did I make it back to Greensboro. I made it back to Charlotte and then drove back to Greensboro. Now over the past three weeks, I had every intention of coming back here fully rested, fully excited about being back. But my mom fell three weeks ago and had a massive brain bleed. And over the last three and a half weeks, it's been a roller coaster of up and down and up and down. And I wish I could say that I trusted God through all of that and his plan, but I didn't. Throughout the three weeks, I tried everything I could in my own power to write my own story. But mom passed 24 hours ago. And as she passed and throughout the whole summer, as I've studied Abram's life, God's been whispering to me, Todd, I am the author of your story. I am writing your story, so stop trying to go down to Egypt. Stop trying to take over control. Stop trying to write your own story and to trust yourself. But instead, trust me. So I wonder this morning, are you trusting God to write your story? Or are you like me? trying to take control and write your own. The empire is always gonna to try to allure us to take control of our own lives, to not trust God. But what we see in this passage is the empire is not ultimately in control, God is. And God promises in Genesis 3.15 that he is establishing a rebel army to fight against the empire. The small flame that was lit and carried through the first 11 chapters of Genesis is now catching fire with God's call to Abram. And God's kingdom is here on earth. And we see this, if you look back at verses one through three, we see the kingdom catching fire as God calls Abram out of his father's Terah's house. And having grown up in this patriarchal system, 
Abram had devoted his gifts, his talents, and all of his belongings to make his father's name great. But in these verses, we see God tell Abram that he is developing a new system, a kingdom, which does not center around the glory of man and his renown, but a system in which man's sole purpose is to make God's name famous throughout the earth. God says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God blesses Abraham so he might be a blessing to every family of the earth who trusts in him and worships him. And then in verses four through five, Abraham, he trusts God, he obeys God, he leaves Haran, and he takes his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot and all their possessions, and he sets out to the land of Canaan. And then in verses 6 through 7, as Abram and his family enter Canaan, they see the land and it's filled with Canaanites. The temptation to fear, to turn back, was great. But we see God's grace and his mercy as he reminds Abram of his promise. To your offspring, I will give this land. And I love Abram's response here. It's not to write his own story, but to trust God's. And he builds an altar to the Lord. In verse 8, Abram pitches a tent and he built an altar to the Lord. And like Enoch before him, he calls on the name of the Lord. Here we see a great reversal. Instead of building a tower of Babel and making a name for himself, or staying with his father in Haran and devoting all his efforts to increasing his dad's wealth and promoting his dad's name. Abram steps out in faith. He embraces a new system where God is on the throne and he seeks to make God's name known throughout earth. And so, are the things that I am doing, are the things that you are doing today, are they going to add to God's glory and further his kingdom? Am I using my resources, my gifts, my talents to grow his kingdom? Are you erecting altars every day so that those that pass by will see that our God lives? The Westminster Confession question one says, what is man's chief end? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. God is calling us to leave our sinful patriarchal system that promotes man's glory and instead to devote our lives to making his name great in Greensboro and beyond. Now, left to ourselves, as we've seen with Abraham, as I shared about my story this summer, our tendency is to abandon the rebel forces. Our tendency is to go back to Egypt. But chapter 12 ends with this beautiful reminder that our God, who is establishing his kingdom, is a gracious God. He pours out grace in the midst of our wanderings and our failures. 
Abram had gone down to Egypt. He had lied to Pharaoh. He had seen his wife taken into Pharaoh's harem. Abram was deserving of God's wrath. But instead, we see in verse 16, God moving Pharaoh to give a great bounty to Abram. Verse 16 says, For her sake he dealt with Abram. And he had sheep and oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. He gave them all to Abram. Instead of cursing Abram, which he deserved, God afflicts Egypt on Sarah's behalf. In verse 17, the Lord afflicts Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And as a result of the great plagues, in verse 20, Pharaoh lets Abram and Sarah go, taking all their spoils with them. Here we see the amazing grace of God in full display. The essence of the kingdom is blessings, blessings that are unstoppable, unstoppable, no matter how badly we screw things up. And it's his grace that sustains us. It's his grace that empowers us to trust God's story, to make his name great so that God's kingdom might grow. God's kingdom is marked by his indescribable grace. And it is this grace that empowers us though we fail. It is this grace that enables us to walk even when we're headed to Egypt and then to repent and to rejoin the rebel forces and to daily set out to do the work of the kingdom. These last weeks have been painful for all of us. It's easy to lose hope. But our passage this morning reminds us that what was once just a, a dim, very dim light through the first 11 chapters of our primeval history, that light is now when God calls Abram, has caught fire. And that fire is bringing about God's kingdom. And it is shining in the darkness. And I believe with all of my heart that God is present here. And God is present in Afghanistan. God is present in Haiti. God is present at Moses Cone Hospital. God is present at Beacon Place as people take their last breath this morning. And nothing, nothing, nothing will thwart his kingdom. And so, brothers and sisters, will we repent of trying to write our own stories and instead trust God to write our stories and walk with him? Will we repent of trying to make a name for ourselves or our family, but instead set out with all of our might to make God's name famous throughout the earth? I love how Daniel foreshadows and prophesies about Jesus in Daniel 4.3. He says, how great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom 
and his dominion is from generation to generation to generation to generation forever and ever and ever. Amen.